having a mindset, how to use your mind, specifically your subconscious mind, to pull in what we call the optimum ideal situation. So let's do this right now. And I want you to patch in Mary right now. We're live. And what do I need to do here? Just click her on right here. There we are. I, s I see you. Hey. Uh, okay. Hi. Hey there. So I was, doing? I'm doing great. And it, it's really about mindset, isn't it? It's like, yeah. what are we going to do to make this world a better place and yeah, have our mind right. going in the right direction? So, you know, Mary, I, 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 I'm troubled by anxiety in the world, about fear, guilt, anger, and there's a lot of things going on in the world, but the truth is, all of it is between your ears. Everything we decide on starts with what we focus on and what we think about, and isn't that a big part of what we call neural reprogramming, or that is getting to the deepest subconscious level where arguably 90% or more, 99% some say, of all behaviors and actions really are kind of auto-programmed from the time we're five, six, or seven years old, pretty much, right? We run like that's, programs? That's absolutely right. We run off of programs because we had to think about everything that we do all the time, we'd never get anything done. So once we learn something, it, it's, it pretty much gets programmed in. Otherwise, we, we'd have to think about everything that we'd already learned over and over again. So yes, it's a good thing as yep. long as the program's working for us. But the only time we think it's a bad thing is when the program's not working for us. It's not giving us the results or the, what we want out of life. True. I once spoke with David Wolf, and he was at a cancer convention there, The Truth About Cancer, and I was interviewing and talking with him. And he, and he said, he said, Nick, how often are you in your conscious mind? And I thought about it. I said, oh, I don't know, 60%. He said, why isn't it 100%? And I, I paused for a moment. I said, that's doable. He said, yeah, it's a decision. You know, you, you really, he uses a countdown, three, two, one, and he snaps his little uh, rubber band on his hand and he goes, three, two, one, I'm present. Three, two, one, I'm making a decision in my favor, right? Because otherwise we, we blast off into our own mind and we, what do we say? We project, is that part of it? We fantasize, we put out in the world what we think is going on when we can only handle what plus or minus eight bits per second kind of thing yeah, versus millions. Plus or minus two bits. We <laughs> really, really sort through billions and billions of bits of information and it really comes down to how we filter it to fit into our beliefs, attitudes, past experiences and memories and so forth. So you and I, as you know, we can't, we can't experience the world in the same way because my map, my territory, my map is different than yours. My past experiences, my beliefs, my attitudes are different than yours. But it's really mostly about how we, what meaning do we give to the events outside of ourselves? What meaning are we giving it to, to it? In other words, if an event happens and we take it like that happened because Joe doesn't like me, hmm. then we're gonna feel bad. <clears throat> well, Joe behaved that way because Joe's just having a bad day then that doesn't make me feel bad. Joe's doing the same behavior either way. It's how I decide to make a meaning out of Joe's behavior. Now I'm gonna feel good if I go, oh, Joe's just having a bad, bad day. Maybe I had to, you know, just ask him how he's feeling or bring him a cup of coffee or something. Make his day nicer. <laughs> or I can take it personally and go, he doesn't like me. Right. And and maybe you know let's let's face it there is a lot of forms of communication right it, it could be someone rolls their eyes when you're when they're talking to you and you're like oh I, you know I, I don't agree with you kind of a roll of eyes or, yeah. or or they look at you with excitement and passion they go yeah I'm all in and so you know humans have very attuned ways of picking up feedback mm -hmm. and so 
in a couple, for example, and they're in a relationship, let's say more than a few months, they've been together for, let's say, years, they already have kind of under, uh, an understanding of communication. And I think Tony Robbins once said, the most important thing to a relationship is proximity, proximity, proximity. <laughs> he said, the more often you're together, and hopefully yeah. you like being together, right, mm -hmm. it's gonna be a good, it's gonna be a good situation. But, but the challenge is that some people are challenged with this other person in their life, and uh, it 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 kind of heaters down into pun the excuse the pun, <laughs> but into a sexless marriage. They're not intimate any longer. They're not kissing. They're not hugging like when they first met. Um, and, and people say, "Oh, Nick, you think too much about making love and sex and all this stuff." <laughs> but you know what? I mean, the truth is, when I wrote the book Mastering Love, Sex, and Intimacy, I I knew just based on all my reading and the clients I've had, that there's a deep hurt and a lack of, of connection between many, many couples out there. Why otherwise is there more than a 50% divorce rate, right? I would agree, yeah. Yeah, part of it's communication and part of it is focusing on the relationship. We get diverted into other things and we forget that that other relationship needs to be the core of our life not something off the side of our life. There's a, there's a great saying that I learned from a female kahuna in Hawaii, and she said, you know, you can have anything you want in life. You can have everything you want, but you have to pay. And what you have to pay is attention. Wow. Or if you don't pay attention to a certain area of your life, you're going to pay with pain. Hmm. So a lot of times we start taking people for granted. They love me, they're there, we're married, they're gonna stay now. I don't have to pay attention anymore to that relationship. In the beginning, we paid a lot of attention to the relationship. And so if we go on automatic pilot and start taking people for granted in our, in our relationships, we're not paying attention and we're gonna pay in pain. And it's really painful, emotional it's very pain. Painful, yeah. yeah, it hurts. It hurts, mm -hmm. and and mm -hmm. people say, "Oh, you can't hurt me with your words and this and that." Oh, yes, you can. But but the reality is that it, what is it stated that that individuals you can go down your checklist of values, and so long as to define for the the viewers, so long as let's say you both value health and. And, and you're both being at least respectful of, hey, I'm gonna eat a certain way, you know, I'm gonna exercise, I, I'm gonna make sure I get to sleep at a certain time. There's certain things that are rules for me. They're, I call them okay. rules. They have to happen, not occasionally. Like, oh, just, Nick, don't worry about it. Just order that milk and, and steak and, and eggs and, you know, just forget your diet for, for right now, for today. And then, okay, if I'm gonna make that concession, how often am I going to make a concession for this other person? So for me, that that's potentially not a deal breaker, but I'm saying, listen, thank you. Thank you for offering me that food, and this is what I'm going to eat. Because you and I have control over what goes into our mouth, into our body, right? right. We also have control of who we kiss, how often we kiss, and if we hold that person, and, and, and we respect their love language kinesthetic, right? And, and if I'm not getting held and hugged, I feel like I'm not loved. And she mm -hmm. may say, I love you, and I'm thinking, that's nice, but how come I don't get a hug and I, my mind my subconscious mind is going hug me please hold me and, and she's still talking talking and i'm like please hold me i, I don't feel loved well i, th I think that, that goes that dovetails right into something a conversation i have a couple uh, conversations i was having today is that we each have a different love strategy yours is very kinesthetic you like yeah. to be hugged then you know you're loved well your partner may not need that so it's hard for that partner to understand that you need that Right? So to them, to feel love, they want you to say it or they want you to do things for them. Right. They don't need to be hugged all the time to feel it. So what a lot of times what I would do working with couples is teach them each other's love strategy because we tend to do to others the way we like to be loved and it may not be what it works for them. And it, it takes you standing back a minute going, well, wait a minute, I like it this way and I need it this way. But maybe my partner doesn't. Maybe my partner feels loved when I do things for them or I buy things for them or I look at them a certain way and say something to them a certain way. Um, so a lot of it is just learning to respect and understand the way your, person, your, your other person uh, feels loved and see if you can 
do your best to realize that you may need to do it outside of your comfort zone, tell them the way they like it. So your partner would need, I would tell your partner, you know, Nick feels most loved when you, when you have a lot of physical contact with him. He likes a lot of physical contact. Right. And that person goes, oh, well, I don't really need that much of that. In fact, I, too much of it kind of bothers me. Well, for, if you love Nick, you're going to make an effort to go give Nick a big hug and kiss every once in a while during the day because he that way he's going to know you love him. Right. Oh, okay. I can I can remember to do that. I mean, if it's hard for you, just set reminders on your phone. Go give Nick a hug. <laughs> Go kiss him. And no, seriously, because your partner may not need that. That may not be something that's part of their love strategy. It's interesting. There's there's a friend of mine that calls me up and talks to me. And if I interrupt or, you know, try and ask questions or start doing a narrative myself, I noticed that on the days when I'm driving and this person's talking and she's just talking and talking, at the end of the conversation, I don't think I said one word. And then at the end, she'll say, oh, thank you so much for talking with me. And I'm like, mm -hmm. okay, it was a one-side conversation and we really didn't talk, but I heard you. And and that's nice for her. She mm -hmm. needed to be heard, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, to be honest with you, with my, a lot of my female clients, sometimes mm -hmm. the men, but a lot of the female clients say, he doesn't listen. Yeah. I'm not being heard. Yeah. I'm not being, I feel like I'm not being seen or heard by him. Mm. That's a, that's a big thing with a lot of my clients and, and teaching the men to go, look, I know a lot of times she's going on and on and on. And really what the man wants to do is fix it. But what she wants to do is just talk it out. <sighs> John Gray's really good about that. You know, he mm -hmm. really made that clear in Men Are For Mars, Women Are For Venus. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, of course, he gave me a nice testimony in, uh, to my book, uh, Mastering Love, Sex, and Intimacy. And, you know, he just said the practical guide for creating lasting love and intimacy provides new insights to make you a star in the bedroom. And so, you know, John Gray, he's a very intuitive, very sharp. I mean, this he's built his whole career on relationships. And it was interesting because I was listening to Andrew Uberman, the Stanford professor, and I, I think I shared the, the link with you uh, about you hypnosis. And he was kind of, maybe it was in that show or it was another one possibly, but because I listen to it, most every show it comes out. I, there's certain people I really like to listen to on a regular basis. They have a lot of good value, especially because I'm very science and biology based. Mm -hmm. And I, I love to tie in that science. Yeah. With I noticed you picked the ones you, you send to me are very sciencey. Yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> and he was questioning this thing about love languages and so forth. He, he was like, mm, I'm not so sure that's so important but gosh I mean when you're in into the trenches and you're dealing clinically with people like you do Mary and as I deal in mostly in group audiences it it's huge but what I found too is it's some it's somewhat gender based but not always I also have men that are external processors that I work with and they mm. just want to talk it out mm. I don't have to say much other than to validate what they're saying or to repeat back what they say to them, but they need to talk it out and then they'll get an aha. Oh, I got it on their own because they're external processors. In NLP, it's a meta program. Either you're an internal processor where you like to work things out inside yourself and then talk about it with someone, or you're an external processor where you just like to talk it out and have the other person listen and maybe ask a few questions. That's about it. Yeah. So with people uh, struggling with this thing we call communication, at the deepest level, there's really this subconscious mind. And it's kind of a mystery, I think, to really everyone <laughs> to an extent. I mean, even if you delve into it, I, 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 I certainly uh, once heard uh, Deepak Chopra say, we are not our thoughts. We are the pauses or the silence between the thoughts. And I thought, He's right. I thought that's really deep. Like, okay, wait a minute. Does that mean that I can have new thoughts and I can direct my thoughts to be kind of resourcefully focused into something I want? So let's say I truly want to get in great shape. I really want to look good, regardless of my age. And, and we all know, you know, we're not the spring chickens we were when we were, you know, 18, 19 years old. But it doesn't mean 
when I look back when I was 20 years old and I was severely obese and, mm. you know, weighed over 210 pounds, only five foot seven and a half, right? And I was carrying a massive amount of weight and my face looked puffed and inflamed. I, I had, you know, like a second chin. I was like, even my middle, my last name Delgado doesn't match because that means thin in Spanish. So genetically, I'm really supposed to be a thin guy. So I had this big belly, this kind of, you know, I, I felt like the Pillsbury Doughboy. I was just everything was big and I thought that was good because I wanted to play football but when I realized you know my neck injury I, I wasn't going to continue to be college and then pro football I was carrying this extra weight and I had this limiting belief that I should never starve or lose weight that way by fasting because of an early bad experience in losing weight so when it came clear to me that I had a stroke and I my life I was in imminent d danger that I needed to make a rapid change of some kind and I turned to the science. Fortunately, I, I was lucky and I found a mentor and I think most people who are successful eventually gravitate to a mentor or a group that's kind of teaching kind of what you want to know, what you already kind of believe in, right. but you've been told by the other side that no, it doesn't work that way, and you'll never attain, you know, that ideal weight. That's a genetic problem, and, you know, they, they make all these excuses, you know, and, mm -hmm. and and then the problem of exercise. Look, I don't have the energy exercise, so which comes first, the energy or the exercise? And I say the hormones. You get the hormones balanced, you have the energy, you want to exercise. You get the hormones balanced, you, you optimize the testosterone and so forth and clear, you know, these metabolites, and then you want to make love, you know, and all of a sudden this relationship that you've been in for 10, 20 years as a sex marriage also comes to life and hopefully your partner is involved in the hormone replacement as well and I shouldn't say replacement I say intervention or augmentation and balance right because you're not really replacing your hormones you're you're bringing them to optimum youthful levels so it really kind of I wanted to say the power of the mind comes first but you've got to slip in with that subconscious training how am I going to make it a real daily exercise program how am I going to commit and when will I commit and how will I go about eating healthy what will I do to bring my mate closer to me and make love more often in the way that she enjoys is not just the way I enjoy so there's all these questions and aren't we kind of the power of the questions we ask ourselves absolutely absolutely and and of course if we ask the right questions to ourselves we'll usually come up with our inner answers the solutions I love it it's all about right the, the right one thing I tell my clients is never ask yourself why Oh. Why am I? Why am oh, I? Oh yeah. Why, why am, am I fat? I right. That way? Why? Is oh. This? It'll take you down a rabbit hole of hell if you ask the why. <laughs> it, it is. The good questions are when, how, or what. Okay. So what give an example. What do I need to do to change okay. this? How? How can I change this? Who do I need to talk to to help me change this? Those are great questions. What kind of a support do I need for this? What kind of training do I need for this? But asking why I can't do something or why my life isn't happy or why I can't make a relationship work will take you down a whole negative tunnel of all kinds of nastiness that is not useful for getting the life you want. In NLP, we never ask why. Never. It's interesting because I have some clients that always pose, why this, why that? And kids ask why, right? Mm -hmm. Why? And, and they're learning. But but then these adults get caught in a negative loop. You know, why, does, do. why do. does he always treat me badly? Why? Right? right? And, why and, do I always lose my job? Why <laughs> do I get passed over for promotions? Why do I do this? Why? Okay, so instead I would say, so what do I need to learn to get good at my job and get a promotion. <laughs> I love it. it, it and th the most famous question that Oprah once uh, posed, she says, why am I always struggling with being overweight, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so the more resourceful question for her would have been, what steps will I take today to implement exercise, to eat the right foods, to go and arrange grocery shopping and to learn the mastery of eating out at restaurants properly? Wh whatever your gig is, I always like to kind of pose that question because I wrote this book literally nearly 30 years ago, Mastering 
the powers of your inner health. And I wrote it because I was invited to speak at Tony Robbins' event. I was going to be doing these live blood microscopy, and I wrote like a, a, a group of four books together along with this was the power of questions, but then I wrote how to look great and feel sexy, which was the roadmap to get in shape, the, the foods, the recipes, the exercise, you know, why, you know, certain macronutrients are correct and others are not. And, and even the, not just the caloric concentration, but the fiber concentration. I even labeled which recipes are for weight loss. I mean, I put a lot of effort into this and these books were the top seller at Master University, even with John Gray and all the other famous speakers during his nine day mastery event. My books outsold every other speaker because A, I showed them their blood under the microscope, which mm -hmm. if you can see in the background here, I have it on the screen and this is, this is my blood. And so we've showed people their blood and we could teach them based on how they were eating, what they were doing exercise wise, what they could do to improve. And in nine days, they truly made dramatic improvements and they went on to, to more or less, shall we say, change their life. But many of them told me that was the big, that was the big turning point for them when they, when they really got an idea of what they had to do based on first the questions to ask properly mm -hmm. and then here's the roadmap. You, you can't just ask the questions without the roadmap because yeah. what is it, computer junk in, junk out? If you're not right. putting in the right information, you're in trouble. Right. True. It's very important to find the right information, the right mentors, the right teachers, the right information to get where you wanna go. However, as you know, people can buy your book and put it on the shelf and then not do anything. Right. Could it be they're more of an audible listener? I love audible books myself. Could yeah. it be that they want little segments like, you know, like we have a coaching program now where we text them little right. inspirational. Here's what you need to do today. Like you said, do, you know, learn, take, mm -hmm. take these steps. Right. And, and so at the same time, the other book, because uh, I said there was four books that we offered at Tony Robbins was Grow Young and Slim, which was the I manual. I remember that book. You wrote that a long time ago. Yeah, it was nearly 30 30 years ago as yeah, well. It's a great book. It's still current today. It's still a great book. It's all about hormones. It's all about, mm -hmm. you know, every aspect of health. And, and now my new book that will supersede or accompany this book is Disease Hacking, which is the update to this book. But we do have this book in, in, in the ebook. Some people are telling me they're ordering the original book online. Like you said, it's still absolutely completely correct. Mm -hmm. A lot of work went into that. But the key is these roadmaps. So what I wanted to integrate in today's session is how do we now help bypass critical thinking? Because people have this wall of believing, look, I've always been overweight. I've, I've always done poorly in my relationships or my job or my career. Mm -hmm. And I just don't have the energy to do these things and now we're giving these people the roadmap and we want to embed this subtly yeah. and artfully right so their mind doesn't go i don't believe you that is bullshit you're right you're never going to lose weight i agree with you that you, you, your affirmation of saying i'm in great shape look at yourself in the mirror you're not in great shape yeah. your mind is chattering saying crazy stuff to you yeah. right it's defeating you for whatever right. crazy reason that you've never made that step and now and that word never is a what do they call a Moodle operator in NLP. It's right. a word that should never exist. Always, never. You know, they say, well, you always tell me these things and you're yeah. never yeah. there on time. And then I go, I am, yeah. I've been on time yeah. twice. Have I ever been on time? I've been on time at least once. <laughs> Find one exception and the word doesn't apply any longer, right? Because that word's a little defeating, isn't it? Yeah. Well, Nick, I think, because I know, I'll, I'll share, I, I struggled with an eating disorder. Okay. And I, like you, I got real fat and then I, I was a binge starver so I'd get real thin because I'd starve myself and then I'd get fat and then I'd get real thin and then I'd get fat and thin and fat thin and fat what I had to do was to deal with why I was doing that at the underlying emotional and, and unconscious reasons as to why I was doing it I kept thinking I just needed a different diet or I needed to try a new way of, of losing weight or staying it was just crazy it was craziness so what I found and probably Probably what led me into the work I do today after 28 years of doing this is to figure that out for myself. But like any addiction, eating can be an addiction. And for me it was. And it was covering up a lot of just dysfunction and pain in, in my past life. Once I could uncover that and understand that I was using food and I was using the starve binge cycle to numb my feelings so I didn't have to deal with it. Right. So right. a lot of the work I, that I do is it's not that they don't they don't read your book and, and want to do it. 
It's that at the, the there's some underlying reasons why they're using food as a drug. Or if you're anorexic, you're using starvation as a drug. It's a flip side of the same thing. There's a certain height of starving. So um, what I when I work with it, I, I your your methods are absolutely awesome, and you, of course, are the poster child for for your diets and your methods and your workouts. And I've done your workouts and eaten with you. You know, so all of that works. But if there's an emotional reason for them to hold on to weight or not exercise or not do that, then you have to clean that up. You have to get that out of the way. I have, I've been consistent now for, for quite a while because I finally cleaned up the emotional reasons why I was struggling with that. Not because I hadn't read your books. I hadn't, I knew your exercise routine. I worked with you, worked out with you and I did work out, but my eating was out of control. So once I got the eating under control and now it's now, like you said, now it's a natural habit for me to pick the right foods in the right amounts. But before it wasn't. Yeah. It was an emotion, I was emotionally eating. And emotional eating, I mean, some people call it closet eating. I mean, there's a lot of words oh, yeah, for it, I right? Yeah, I used to, like, buy a bag of cookies and go park at the beach and eat it and throw the wrappers away in the trash can so my kids didn't know. <laughs> oh, no. It's <laughs> like a drug addict. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, how how is it that, you know, w we have the resources, we have the knowledge, but we'll even lie to ourselves, right? Well, it's tough because, you know, that reality check, you know, has to kind of face you right there. I tell people, look in the mirror and whatever you've been doing for five years, if it's still the same or getting worse, whatever you're doing isn't working right now. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And usually that's when people reach out to me for coaching. Yeah. Is when they've struggled with it over and over and over, tried everything and they, they're still not getting their results. That's when they'll usually show up. Wow. And I wonder, you know, what is it going to take for people? You, you know, a lot of people wait till that, like, that call of death, literally. I mean, you know. Some do, and some yeah. do. And, and, and it's unfortunate. Or, or maybe they, they, they come into a place where they want to start dating again. Maybe they fresh off a divorce or, you know, their, their loved one or lover passed on. Uh, you, you know, th these, are, these are the things that people, you know, cause drastic changes. But why not make that decision now to yes. get into the subconscious mind and what I I find is that there is so much chatter around me that wants to pull me in the wrong direction, whether it be people or, or relatives or ex-friends or, or new friends or whatever it is, or the media, right? The media is classic, right? I, I just say, A, I just turn the media off. That maybe is not an option for some people because they're addicted to it. Uh, or, or more importantly, I want to program in the things I want, right? Isn't that where yeah. we're at? Right, it is. It's a, it, it, first, decide what you want. And next, get some desire for it. You have to really want it. To make change, you have to really want that thing. And then you have to figure out, well, what, why do I want it? What, what is it that I want? You know, and I know, and I've worked with doctors, other doctors with their patients about weight loss and eating correctly. The doctors want them to do it for their health, <laughs> but most people do it because they want to look good. They yeah. want to be attractive and they want to have energy and they want to, they want to be attractive to, to partners. Right. So whatever your motivation is, for me, when I finally, 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 finally dealt with it, was I, I was more concerned with my blood sugar levels and the fact that I was getting too high up in the sugary part of it even though I wasn't really eating a whole lot of sugar. I had to change my diet entirely to change that. And, and it's interesting, but you got an awakening because you were around doctors who were progressive and understood complementary medicine. Uh, some people want to think of it as functional medicine, lifestyle medicine. All these are very positive directions because, you know, traditional uh, medicine will look at you have this disease and now you have to take this drug or go and have mm -hmm. the surgery and people just walk down that pathway until their demise, early demise, right? right? Uh, you know, we look at it like, wait a minute, we were born on this planet to be healthy, happy, and, and look and feel great. And so really 
the truth is, what do we need to do to get into the right um, mindset, the right area? Well, first of all, it depends on what your motivation is. Mine was really to get healthy. For some people, it's, it's to look good. So to figure out what it is, there's not a good, bad, or anything about that. Um, being I, Also, what I'm just going to bring this up is what I have found is traditional doctors that insurance pays for do not have the same skills as the functional doctors I've been to, the ones that are with A4M and so forth that you and I know, we, that are into more holistic forms of medicine. Right. And unfortunately for a lot of people, they're, they're expensive. You have to pay out of pocket. Well, expensive relative to right. Uh, what's going to be the the greater expense uh, if you, if you're right. if you're pedaling backwards and, and, and always dealing with disease? Them, I go, so so look, yeah, okay, you can use your insurance for this doctor, but he's giving you a bunch of drugs and it's not really changing your lifestyle. It's not changing who you are. You are going to have to pay out of pocket for really healthy things. Now, for me, I don't begrudge any penny I pay for my health or my education. Because I, that's, that's, I, I take that with me wherever I go, my health and my education. Yeah, it, it's interesting that years ago, uh, Jim Rohn, who was the mentor to Tony Robbins, you know, said, look, you know, you can make your car a university on wheels. Everywhere you drive mm -hmm. in those days, we, we yeah. play, play, played education cassette tapes. And right. I literally have hundreds, if not maybe a thousand audio cassette tapes, you know, uh, stored away somewhere here. Right. And then everyone went to a different digital format, which is fine. But the point is that, it, there was always an answer and, and sometimes I would be watching these things and the answer would come to me and, and it wasn't I think by chance it was like Maybe a serpent did it, uh, circumstantial, but the other side of it was I was searching for it, and maybe I was listening to the type of material that would f give me that answer. I, I mean, look, the two biggest search engines are not just Google, it's YouTube, and we're on YouTube. People yeah. are searching for answers, and the question that we have for people is, are you ready to now make these changes. So we're gonna do a Zoom session where we're gonna bring people together and we're gonna help them to, to recognize what is it that they can do right now to make a huge transition in their life to take them to that next level. And that next level, let's be clear, their relationships, their career, and their health. Uh, I can't think unless you want to throw in spiritual, but that's not our, our format. But we're going to guide you. And if, imagine, and I like to use this word, not make a better health or better career, but take it to the next level. What does that mean to you? The right. next level could be like geometric. You might be in your career, look, I'm only earning 50,000 a year and I mm -hmm. want to earn a million a year. Well, that's a big jump. Can it be done? Well, maybe in your certain circumstances or job it can't be, but it doesn't mean on the side you can't figure out right, right. how to right. invest. And we have Laurel Langmire, millionaire maker, mm -hmm. coming up in one of the sessions. We have a relationship coach, uh, Christine Grant. So each person has their expertise, and right. when we when we really put it together, we can take all three of these areas to that next level. Absolutely, but it, absolutely. What what kind of programs do you use? And and I'm assuming you having a background in hypnosis, timeline therapy, NLP. Do you play back certain material? I know I do, and I'm just curious. What kind of a program do you use to keep you guided in the right direction? I'll tell you what my go-to book is, which might be kind of weird because it's not a hypnosis book, but I was read. I do read up a lot on, on hypnosis, psychology, all of the things that, of course, I would look into because I'm, I love it. But I read the Seth books by Jane Roberts quite a bit. Have you ever read any of those? Uh, the, the Nature of Personal Reality and the, the Seth books and so on and so forth. Seth, S-E-T-H? Uh-huh, uh-huh. And so it's Jane Roberts the is the author? Yeah, she. it was a channeled thing. She channeled these, kind of oh. like Hicks did, right? Yeah. Um, and the reason I like it is because it, it talks about how we create reality through the way that we think and what we believe. Okay. And our reality is very dependent on what we believe our reality is. Okay. So if I believe that I can do something, I'm going to be better at doing it. 
If I believe, even though I don't know how to do it perfectly right now, that I can learn and I can learn quickly, I will learn and I'll learn quickly. If I believe that I can be a thin, healthy person, even though I'm not right now, if I, if I wasn't right now, but I believe that I can be, and I let go of the belief that I'm a fat person, because if I believe I'm a fat person, I'm going to keep being a fat person. Changing those beliefs and focusing on that new belief will create the reality. It'll also create the behavior and the thinking that goes with it. So when we change a belief, we actually start to change the thought patterns and the behavior. So part of it is identity. And Tony Robbins talks about this. If, there's, if you have an identity within yourself that I'm lazy or I'm a fat person oh. or I can't learn or I'm stupid, your behavior is going to show that and so are your results. Because you do and you are what you believe you are. So a lot of the work that I do, using timeline therapy primarily for belief change, but there's other techniques that I use. But first people have to identify those core beliefs that are creating the behavior, creating the thought patterns that go along with it. So Mary, imagine that you're trying to create a roadmap and your doctor has never done a full VIP complete hormone panel and the doctors I work with and we teach and we advocate doing a 24 urine test with 38 different hormone metabolites. We do a blood test with about really 20 different lab levels for hormones and when most doctors and, and clients come to see me and they bring me the lab work that their doctor did and I look at it like I've can I say this almost <laughs> yeah, and I'll it, use this almost never seen a doctor of a traditional nature MD DO doesn't matter DC I've almost never seen a proper panel now if you go to our website just take a look at from the doctors.com you click on the suggested panels and it drops down and it's like oh my gosh all these tests why would you do all these tests well I literally went to my I just because I'm past 60 if I may say I'm 67 right and I got this Medicare card and it gave me this like insurance well I haven't personally had insurance I'm embarrassed to say this for most of my life because I always depended on my own health care and wellness and lifestyle right yeah. I mean I'm sure you know if I got in an accident I, you know I, I'd figure something out with it but the point was I went to the doctor true story and I had done the panel our panel which is a $997 panel and he said oh that's a lot to invest in, in doing a blood test and I said did you ever get so many tests done? I literally this morning went to Quest Lab with a, a little requisition slip and I had to convince this doctor for 30 minutes why I needed these tests. And she says, well, the care plan won't allow you to do these tests. And I looked at her and I said, you see these results? They are not in line with optimum levels and even by your standards, they need to be better. Mm -hmm. And I was able to convince her to order all these tests. It was so cool. I was excited. Yeah. And she goes, well, I don't really know why we're doing this. Because you know what she said? She goes, I won't know how to interpret them. She went further and said, I'm going to have to refer you to endocrinologist. We, we can't continue listing all these tests. I said, don't worry. I'll guide you. And she, she somehow yeah. listened to me and was comfortable with me guiding her. And I said, listen, all the doctors I work with, these are the tests we do and she goes oh well she didn't really want to admit that you know there was something more to this but I explained each test and why we were going to do it mm -hmm. and she goes okay and we went down the list so I can't wait because she ordered the test literally back three months ago I can't wait to take them into her and now educate my doctor right because well, you've been doing that anyway, Nick. You've been educating doctors for as long as I've known you. Right, right. You have. Yeah. And it's interesting because if I educate just 50 doctors at a conference mm -hmm. or 100 doctors, I've been at conferences where I've had an audience of 1,500 doctors when yeah. I've talked about love and intimacy with uh, Bob Delmantique and, and Ava Cadell, one of the most famous talks we ever did at the in Las Vegas for the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine. And... The beauty is that doctors come up to me all the time and they say, 
you know, I really want to learn from you. I really want to be emerged. Some are coming to our live-in retreat to learn from mm -hmm. me. Some are doing the VIP program where month to month, you know, I, I chat back and forth with them and I guide them. And others are coming onto the group, which we're about to hold here at 4 p.m. in about uh, uh, 16 minutes. Because the reality is, no one is doing this kind of training that I know of, except mm -hmm. Dr. Terry Hurtock, and he does a university where he charges a very pretty penny to be part of a medical university for doctors, and doctors are thirsty to learn about yeah. balancing hormones. But that's just one of our seven pillars. Do you realize that? We're yeah. teaching them all seven. And all Mary, seven of them. the benefit yeah. of having you with us is that you're an expert in, in guiding people. And I like to soften the words because some people are afraid Sorry. They're, yeah, they're afraid of the word hypnosis because of stage hypnotism. And you. Oh, we're going to talk about hypnosis. All right. My yeah. favorite subject. And you're the perfect person because you originally did stage hyp hypnotism. Oh, well, only as part of my classwork. Your training. With, yeah. yeah, for my training. I studied with Dr. John Kappas at Hypnosis Motivation Institute when uh -huh. he was still alive. He was a psychologist who didn't think that talk therapy worked well. He did all of his therapies with hypnosis, and he opened a school in, in fact, his son runs it now, George Kappas does, uh, in, I think he's still in Encino, at Hypnosis Motivation Institute. It was a very comprehensive program, which was awesome, because I went uh, to classes, literally went to classes down there, eight hours a day, five days a week for a year. I learned so much from Dr. Kappas. So his, I, so I'm very well versed in clinical hypnotherapy because his focus was on using hypnosis for all kinds of uh, emotional issues and problems and behaviors. So that was really my, my, my first big training in helping people was hypnosis. And I love it. I did do stage shows just because he made us go look at them and do them and then do a couple of them to see what those people were doing. Well, you know, you bring up a great point, and, and I, I just want to kind of backtrack and mention this, and that is that when, when, when you bring people into the realm of hypnosis, they get worried because they hear uh, stage hypnotism. There was a guest uh, a few days ago on Andrew Uberman's uh, uh, broadcast, and you know he gets like 200,000 views, which which was is really a substantial number of people you know viewing in, and, and it's kind of exciting to think about it. But but that being said. Uh, his guest uh, was dispelling that this is not stage, stage hypnotism. He even took issue. He said, look, I'm really discouraged and disappointed because people think that clinical hypnosis is mm -hmm. somehow not appropriate. And he went to this long discussion about mm -hmm. how he is a, a meta, a, as a, a clinical uh, PhD, a psychologist, that he was in the hospitals um, giving people guidance for reduction in anesthesia because pain can be reduced through hypnosis. And I never forgot, Mary, when I was with Tad James and I was learning like you were in those days, I, I'm not sure, did I predate you uh, going to his sessions? I was there or you were already there. I, uh, I took my first training with him in 1996. Okay. I didn't go to work with for him until 97. Okay. So I remember... I, I took practitioner and master mm -hmm. practitioner. I took every course I could imagine that was available. Huna yeah. went to Hawaii. I mean, it was yeah. just incredible. Yeah. And people hear us say Huna, they go, "What's what's Huna?" It's yeah. it's the ancient. It's like an ancient uh, philosophy and understanding. And and if I'm not mistaken, there was two places in the world. There was apparently a time in the world where all the books were burned, and it was a horrible mm -hmm. time when, you know, people were turning from science and education. And 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 yet the people in Hawaii and another place in the world had almost identical teachings and it was like mm -hmm. how did that happen where the rest it's really it's really not a religion it's more of about how to use energy the energy that we're made of but I remember going up to Tad James and he said, mm -hmm. match up with someone because you're going to spend a lot of time with this person and you're going to do hypnosis on each other and you're going to practice on each other. And I right. ran up to Tad first immediately and I said, who do I, who, who's the best in the class? Who do I line up with? And he pointed her and I ran to her fast and I ran <laughs> up to her and I go, why does everyone say you're the best? And she told me a story. She said, well, 
I had to have abdominal surgery, very painful. I was allergic to anesthesia. I would die. So I had to learn hypnosis to put myself under self-hypnosis. So I'd go under the knife, extremely painful abdominal surgery, and she did it successfully. And then later, the hospitals would hire her for $1,500 a session to come in and put their patients under hypnosis. Well, I jumped back to that thought. And I, I never forgot what she told me that I needed to learn because I had already taken hypnosis at, at USC at the psychology with our professors. And I thought, this is, mm -hmm. I, I'm still struggling with this because I was fighting it. My mind was going, I'm too strong. My mind's too smart. I can't, I can't go under, which is quite the opposite because a certain percentage of people yeah. cannot be hypnotized, but only because they don't let themselves, I believe. They don't want to be. Yeah. And, and so, so I turned her and I said, I said, why are you so good? She said, can you pretend? And I said, yes. Okay. And she goes, are, are, do you have kids? Are they good at pretending? I said, oh yeah, they're really good at pretending. If, if, if I say there's a pink elephant, they see the pink elephant. Mm -hmm. They describe it perfectly. And, and she goes, well then listen, don't fight it. Everything I tell you, do and think and float into the sky if I say float in the sky. Pretend, pretend, pretend. Do everything I say and you will then get the joy and the beauty and the power of directing your mind through hypnosis. And that's what Andrew Uberman uh, came about with, with his guest in basically saying, hey, this is powerful and it's so underutilized. And I only wish all clinicians and all hospitals and all doctors would use this because it's way beyond placebo, right? Well, Nick, I've done a lot of work with child with painless childbirth, and women women can have babies w that are good high hypnotic subjects without any pain at all. All they feel is pressure. Wow. So, so when yeah. you say that, it's it's interesting because, you know, I I I, I often think about. Um, and, and by the way, th th this is the guest that was was on Andrew uh, Uberman's uh, show. I, saw, I did see that. Yeah, yeah. And, and I believe his name is Dave Spiegel, uh, Dr. And Dave he's, Spiegel. And uh, he's from Stanford, as I believe. Yeah, they're Stanford both. Stanford University. He's done a lot of really great work with uh, mapping the brain and what happens when people are in hypnosis and they're doing certain things under in trance at different levels, which I thought was really cool because when I first started, they didn't have MRIs. And I thought, wow, it would be cool if we could see what's going on in the brain while we do this and now we can yeah and, and mm -hmm. it, it is so cool because you know with with dave spiegel's work and and a andrew uberman bringing it to the front the forefront you know it takes people like ourselves who have been mm -hmm. doing this clinically for years you know you yeah. go back uh, 28 years now yeah and and, and i'm 20 <laughs> 20 plus years and of course i've been in lifestyle medicine since uh, you know i was working with tony robbins in 1994 right. and that's when with tony robbins i went and found uh the uh uh, Richard Bandler because I found out that was his teacher and I thought I don't want to just learn from Tony I want to learn from the people he learned from right and and so by going to those people eventually I found uh, Tad James and the training there but you know the beauty of it was like when uh, I was listening to David Spiegel talk about how his father was a clinical hypnotist and they would kind of really turn against him they say oh yeah you can't be exactly. doing this in the hospital you, you this this is going to ruin the situation mm -hmm. there's laws about this and you can't do this to a child and, and then he was asked a good question can you hypnotize children sure and, you can they're easily hypnotized because they walk around in it a lot <laughs> and like you said what it, what it, it's a suspension of disbelief is what what happens is yeah. that you 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 simply follow the directions and use your it's guided your guided imagination really it's a natural state and he brought that up in his interview trance is a very natural state we go in and out of trance all the time every day naturally sometimes deep and sometimes light G Every give an example, you, like you're at the okay. movies, Have you ever right? had a daydream where you're thinking about something and you're kind of daydreaming? <laughs> sure. Right? And you're daydreaming and somebody walks in the room and they go, Earth to Nick? Earth to Nick? Are you there? <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. But kids are always daydreaming, right? When they're right. really young? Right. You can't even, you know, they're, they're playing with their toys and you go, come on, mm -hmm. we're going to eat. And they're just ignoring you because they're in a yeah. hypnotic state. Essentially, yeah, in a hypnotic state. If you're if you're playing a video game and you're involved in it, you're blocking out. The definition is that you focus on one thing and exclude everything else. As soon as you do that, even if I stare at my finger for 30 seconds, I'm going to block out everything else in 30 seconds. I'll be in the finger trance. Try it. Just pick up your finger and stare at it. 
and block out everything else, pretty soon you are in the trance of the finger. You might even find that it's moving closer and closer to your face while you're in the trance of the finger, staring at it, because it wants to move closer and closer to your face. The finger trance. There you go, so you're in the finger trance. You blocked out everything else for a moment and you went into that trance, and all you did was follow directions. And again, back to what that great hypnotist that trained me was, she said, listen, just pretend and follow the directions. Mm -hmm. Stop your yeah. critical thinking. Just yeah. if it seems silly, just do it. Now, of course, we, we always qualify. Look, we, we, you went, if you wouldn't normally run out naked out in the street, you know, and do wild things, you're not going to do that. And unless you normally would do that on a stage, you know, to get attention, who, who knows? So don't worry, because when you're directing, you know, we have filters, but so long as you imagine merge yourself deeply mm -hmm. in, into what we're talking well, about. What people don't understand about the stage hypnotist, because I did it and I saw the mechanics of it and the tricks to it, is that first of all, everybody knows when they're going to attend a hypnosis show that the that people are going to get on stage and do fun, silly things, right? right. They all know that. They expect right. it. So unconsciously, the people who want to perform and want to play will sit closer to the stage. They just do naturally. Right. So then as a hypnotist, what you do is some suggestibility things so that you can see who's really suggestible to, to your to hypnosis. So you do a few suggestibility tests and then you start kind of tapping on the people that you think are going to do well on stage because there you can, can tell that they're following your suggestibility tests. You get them up on stage and then out of 10 people, you pick the best ones. You get rid of the rest, the ones that go deepest and want to be up there they're pretty much going to play along with whatever you want them to do. It's a stacked deck. They're going to do it. Now, what I found in one show that I did with some, was I, I had one girl who the suggestion I gave was outside of her values. If that happens, they just pop out of hypnosis. Okay. They don't accept it, and they come right out of hypnosis. They just won't accept it. And the value was, I mean, what I had them do wasn't anything too risque, mm -hmm. but it was, it was to, to, to her, it was maybe out of her religious beliefs or whatever. And she just popped out of it. And I just excused her, told her she'd go sit down in the audience and I worked with the rest of the people. And that's really how it works. There's a lot of trickery to it. It's that the hypnotist does read people and know how, which people are going to perform the best and which ones are going to be the most entertaining, and we bring them up and do it. And all of it's kind of silly stuff. It's nothing that horrible. It's all silly stuff. Well, the most convincing thing when my USC psychology professor did this was mm -hmm. the post-hypnotic suggestion. Yeah. Because it's one thing you say, oh, they're directing you to dance like a like an yeah. Elvis or whatever and you, yeah. you're doing it you're thinking oh they're just faking it they're just and I thought to myself how that lady told me you know pretend and you know mm -hmm. it'll become more real yeah but but more importantly I I, I think that the, the key is that that these individuals when when they're told I never forgot when our psychology professor was doing hypnosis on the whole group at USC mm -hmm. and I was in my mind thinking gosh I have an organic chemistry uh, test this next class I don't want to be in hypnosis I'm afraid I don't know what's going to happen I literally was thinking this in my mind yeah. so I was fighting it I was doing what he said in kind of in my mind but just paying lip service to it my friend Tim right next to me really good friend and he's this you know he went on to become a, a paramedic you know very very sharp very intense you know works out together with me and all this and and I'm watching Tim out of the corner of my eyes and and the, the session's over and I remember the professor said when I conclude and I flick my fingers you're going to take your left hand reach down grab your right ankle and then bring that back up and grab your left ear and I'm, I'm thinking okay that's a strange suggestion because I'm trying to pay attention to everything take notes I'm really trying to take it in how he's doing this you know is this really going to work and then he flicks his finger at the end and my friend Tim I literally see out of my peripheral vision he reaches down grabs his his left ankle with his left hand I mean his right ankle and then he reaches up grabs his left ear and I looked at him like Tim and, and he goes what I go why'd you do that he goes I don't know I just did it 
I'm like, you just did it? And so that was, to me, very powerful. The, tell me about this post-hypnotic suggestion. And well, what, what about Dave Ellman, hypnotherapy, right? I love him. He's one of my favorite, favorite, favorite hypnotists. And I use his techniques yes. quite a bit. I'll, I'll tell you why. Yeah. First of all, they're quick. And secondly, you're giving control to the client. Wow. With that one. So the reason that people will take post, uh, the, the post-hypnotic uh, suggestion is that they're good subjects. They're usually somnambulists that will take, the, take those. If you're, if you're in a light trance, you may not. But if you're in a deep trance, you will. So there's certain phenomena when, you, when people go into very deep trance that happen. And one of them is amnesia. So you can tell somebody, I don't know if you've ever seen this happen, but you can tell somebody when they're in a deep trance, you, you've lost the number five. It's gone. It's gone. It's gone. It's disappeared. You've right. lost the number five. You can't, there's, it's gone. And then, you, then you'll have them open their eyes. They're still in trance. They can open their eyes and talk. Mm -hmm. And you go, so, oh, you have a nice, well, you count your fingers for me. And they'll go, one, two, three, four, six. Wow. And then you go, well, that's not right, is it? And they'll go, no, that seems weird. I go, well, maybe we better do it again. <laughs> One, two, three, four, six. Oh, hilarious. Now, you, you, they have accepted your suggestion to have amnesia for that number. Okay. Then you just say to them, okay, so when I snap my fingers, five will come back. You'll remember it. Then you say, go ahead, count your hands again. One, two, three, four, five. Now they're accepting your suggestion to forget. Okay. That's all. Okay. So it, they usually need to be in a very deep state and they're highly suggestible. So it doesn't, not everybody do they work for. Right. Right. And, and they'll go along with it, but they'll forget that they went along with it because you've told them to forget, forget. Right. Now, a lot of times clinically, why would this be useful clinically? Right. I'll tell you why. Sometimes when you're assisting people in making change to behaviors or something else, you want them to forget what you said in the session, the suggestions you said in the, in the sessions, because if they remember what you said in the session, they will use their conscious mind to nullify it. Oh, because wow. Because they'll go back into critical thinking. Yeah. And then they'll, they'll go, oh, that's no, that's not right. That's bullshit. That can't happen. But they'll doubt it. So if you if you if you do the suggestions at that deep trance level, and then you say you you will you you won't remember any more of this when you when you when you come out of this you won't but you'll just notice that you your life is much better and things are moving very well you just won't remember any of this. Amazing, and, and could it also be used if someone had a traumatic experience, and you want them to kind of forget elements of it that were very traumatic, but bring it up when they're ready to process and deal with it? What I find, and this is I learned this from both Capus and Tad James, yeah, was I always honor the their unconscious mind's uh, readiness okay. to change, right. right? So I never force it. I, I, I'll give you an example. I had a woman get a hold of me when I had my office in Monterey, California, and right. she, I was in the newspaper at the time, so I got a lot of phone calls. And she, she called me and she said, I can't remember all of age six. Can you help me remember it? Yeah. I said, sure. Come on in. She said, no, I, I don't want to meet you in your office. Can you meet me at a restaurant? She didn't feel safe. Okay. I said, sure, I'll meet you at the restaurant, whatever. Right. So she, she wanted to make sure I was okay, I guess. I don't know. So she was very scared. So I, her unconscious mind was, had blocked out that whole thing, right. the whole year. I said, well, do you remember anything like Christmas or your birthday or pleasant things, right? Mm -mm, nothing. So when I started working with her unconscious mind, it took me a while for the unconscious mind to let her even remember something pleasant from that time period. I had to work with her unconscious mind, letting it know, you know, it's going to be safe because we're only going to remember some pleasant things, some good positive things that happened in that time. It took me about three or four sessions to where her unconscious mind would even let her remember the traumatic event that caused the blackout of the whole year. It wasn't ready and it was, a, it was fearful. She was fearful. Yeah. And I never forgot in, in the training, there's examples where a person 
is at a table and there's maybe six conversations going on and you think you're only paying attention to the conversation to the person next to you but in reality you can hypnotize them to pick up the other conversations that may be pertinent to right. what's what's going on in your life. I mean, sure. that is like amazing. Mm-hmm. The brain is so amazing and so underutilized, Mary. We're gonna yeah. transition to, to the Zoom uh, link for those of you who are in the coaching program. And I hope if you haven't already, I'm gonna just type in the show notes right now. Just please uh, apply for, and go to from the doctors, I'm just typing it as we go, dot com, and then just, just click on apply. And it'll be a brief little thing and you'll get your first session free with us. Uh, uh, with with the group and then thereafter it's right now with this incredible special it's so amazing i'm not even going to say how amazing. good the amazing is but it, it's like less than a dollar a day if you will based yeah. on the next 90 days to transform your life so hey mary uh, we're going to transition over to zoom it's been a pleasure you're an amazing guest and amazing wealth of knowledge and you know it's kind of like walking down history like people have no clue what i learned in working with nathan pritikin and tony robbins and mark mm-hmm. victor Hans and all these amazing people and you got to work right alongside some of the greatest people in the power of the mind and so we're here now to bring this to the new generation most of the people have no clue of a lot of the people we're talking about but (laughs) it doesn't matter that they don't know those people what they need to know is they can take their relationships, their career, and their health to the next level. So we're going to yes. do that right now. We're going to sign off, and please join us at fromthedoctors.com. I put it in the show notes. Those of you, again, uh, we have a very small group. It's starting to form, and it's a new thing every Wednesday, and I believe we're going to add one more time slot uh, uh, later on in, in the month. But for right now, please join us, and all you have to do is just fill that out, and we'll send you a link. Uh, we might be delivered and you may not get until next Wednesday, but let's see what we can do. So it's been a pleasure, Mary. You're amazing. And Thanks let's for having me, Nick. I, I always love being on your, on your program. <laughs> and we're going to go deeper into addictions, into hormones, and some real directives, and we're going to actually do a hypnotic session in the next uh, go-through right. with our VIPs. Okay, everyone, be well, be strong. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm.